today on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Let's double dip, shall we? Two great guests for you to talk Illinois basketball and Illinois football. First, it's time to talk with Michael Tulip. We will chat about Illinois basketball's win over Nebraska, a little bit about Wisconsin as well. Uh, ask him about the freshmen's impact on winning here recently and what they're what they're doing for the program uh, right now and this team specifically, uh, but also about shooting concerns about R.J. Melendez's shot. Obviously, Michael too, pretty good shooter back in his day. So uh, ask him about what he sees going on there, his expectations for Luke Goody, and we also preview a massive, massive game against Iowa. I can't wait for this one at Carver-Hawkeye. Also, we chat with Alan True about Illinois football's class of 2023, the highest-ranked Illinois class in 11 years since 2011 for Illinois. Uh, so we dive into Malik Elzey, Mac Resetich, the late signing day surprise for Illinois, what Brett Beal was doing in state, and some of his uh, favorite, Allen's favorite prospects in this class. And uh, we get into a D line conversation. I know there's some concerns about defensive line recruiting. Allen might make you feel a little bit better about that. We also look forward and look ahead to the 2024 class and, and maybe some guys we should keep an eye on in that class as Illinois really starts to dive fully into that cycle as well. So sit back, relax, enjoy some great analysis from Michael Tulip and Alan True coming up next on the Illini Enquirer podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's that time of week. Catch up with Mike Latulip. And Mike, Illinois, is on a three-game win streak since that loss to Indiana. They've won seven of eight. So there's been two wins since then. I think you feel really good about what happened at Wisconsin, despite an ugly start. And uh, not as good against Nebraska with uh, defensive issues in the first half. But, boy, they clamped down. Um, in the second half, especially the final 12 minutes. So you got any big takeaways from kind of conglomerating those two games together? If you want to win in this league, we've talked about it, you got to be able to win ugly. And uh, I think I, I joked about it on post game that Nicola Moretti probably thought he got dropped on Mars uh, for the first half of that Wisconsin game. Wasn't the, uh, wasn't the best showing for American basketball. Um, but they figured it out, man. They exploited the mismatches i mean wisconsin isn't very strong in terms of their athleticism and length on the wing and that's exactly what illinois went after and they went back to the well time and time again with with matthew meyer but um look you have to be able to win ugly in this league and and they were due for probably a couple ugly ones uh and i thought in the nebraska game in particular i thought their effort was good it's just about channeling that in the right way because the majority of their mistakes right now are, are really just when they let their guard down on the scout. Um, and that's true for a lot of teams, but particularly with this team, they're so good defensively that if they can just fine tune that a little bit, that just, that takes them up uh, another notch. And, you know, that's, that's going under screens, that's losing shooters. That's not recognizing what the opposing defense is trying to exploit and exploiting that um, little things like that, and that's where the game to me against Nebraska turned. Offensively, it was kind of a slog to start the game, and they kept driving into the two guys that are low holding under the basket. That's what they're designed to do. They low hold the guys underneath the basket. They want to be in rotation. They want you to skip it, uh, and they well, they want you to shoot contested shots with three guys underneath. What they don't want is for you to be able to really pinball the ball around and drive it. And that's what they ended up doing. They started recognizing that that corner is where that low hold guy will never be. 
Like that's that's his guy. He's typically leaving. Skip it to the corner, move it around. They started doing that. The game kind of opened up, but their effort and particularly the freshmen yeah. in that second half were a big reason why I thought that blew open. Yeah, I want to get into the offensive things right now. I want to get into that. Hey, they've done what we thought they could do, which is get towards the top of the league with with this stretch mm-hmm. of games in January. Uh, and we've got to get into what is, I think, just a massive fun rivalry i think mutual rivalry uh, between illinois and iowa coming up here on saturday but you mentioned the freshmen and it, this feels like a game where they were coming of age like, like Jaden neps has been there it feels like especially since he's been inserted into the starting lineup over the last month but but ty rogers um you know it's been like every other game for him but you have that now in, in your repertoire and, and sincere harris uh with another game where, where he leaves an impact on winning uh just what did you see out of those guys to help spark that win yeah well i think it's contributed a lot to this team winning games and i don't just say that flippantly because there's teams in this league that are struggling with that there's teams in this league where they don't have a defined three through nine and it's killing them because guys don't know their roles uh, that's michigan's biggest problem right now I don't think Juwan knows who to throw in, when to throw them in. There's no continuity. And that hurts your top guys. That hurts Hunter Dickinson. That hurts Jet Howard when they don't know who to expect around them, how they play, and there's everything's just off-kiltered and out of rhythm. And this Illinois team, on the flip side, it's a reason why they're pretty high up in this league now. It's a reason why they're, they're tied for second in this league is because I really think they've solidified that three through nine. I think we know Matthew Meyer, Terrence Shannon are probably the top two guys. Depending on how you value Coleman Hawkins, you can maybe throw them in there. But they're three through nine. Three through nine are it's just really solid, and each guy knows who they are, and particularly the freshmen. I'll, I'll go through each one of them. Jaden Epps, in, in, as I'm watching point guards in this league, I don't think there's many point guards that are better at at going off script. And I know that sounds bad. But he is so good when things break down, being able to find his spot, get to the basket. I mean, he's finishing for a guy that's probably a little over six foot. Being able to finish at that rate around the rim is imperative because there's there's so many teams in this league that want to take that type of stuff away. And when you can break down a defense like that, you, you completely compromise what these teams are trying to do. And Ty Rogers, his identity, although it's always been – running around and grabbing offensive rebounds and being the hustle guy, his identity now has been, hey, who's the opposing team's best perimeter player? And if we need to give Terrence Shannon a blow, and if we need to give somebody else a blow, like we got a guy who arguably is probably our best on the ball defender that we can throw in there. And if you think about these other teams, right, if I'm Sam Greasel or if I'm any of these guys on these other teams, Bryce Sensible, and I'm like, I take that deep breath when Terrence Shannon subs out. All right, this is my chance. And then you got this guy coming in who, you know, arguably might be a better defender than Terrence. Um, And that's not a slight on Terrence whatsoever. That's how good Ty Rogers is sliding his feet on the ball instincts. I mean, it's, it's off the charts. And then sincere Harris was a big reason why that game went from 50 to 48 to 56, 50. It, his effort and getting out in the fast, getting on the fast break, you know, pressuring the ball, all of that. It was all tied in together, and those freshmen were were a big, big reason for that. Jaden tied all in. Jaden having some tough shots in big moments. I think it was fifty six fifty, and and Jaden went to the basket, and was able to draw a foul and make some free throws. They've done it in different ways, and then just when you think these these freshmen aren't doing much, it's it's Matthew Meyer killing you at Wisconsin. And it's Terrence Shannon against UCLA and it's Coleman Hawkins having a major impact against Ohio State that speaks to the talent of this team and we talked about it preseason how I think you can throw them up there with any team in this league mano mano talent wise and the pieces you know one through nine it's pretty incredible and it 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 gives you a sense of comfort when you think about rolling into March and saying man this guy may not have it this game but that's okay because we can supplement that in other areas, and I think that's what you've seen. Well, Mike, one concern that certainly has developed recently, especially during Big Ten play, despite a, the great streak of winning, which is defense and their two-point-making ability, is their shooting. They are 13th in the Big Ten right now at 29.3% from three. Terrence Shannon has dropped to 25% from three during conference play. We know 
the shooting slump that R.J. Melendez is in. The good news is you have a guy like Matthew Meyer who can absolutely go off like he did against Wisconsin. You have Jaden Epps who has shown his ability just to consistently get double-digit scoring for a freshman. But how big of a concern right now is offense and scoring for the long term, for the ceiling potential of this team? Well, the lack of shooting actually doesn't concern me because to me it's a quality of shot issue and not a shooter issue. Hmm. And that can be rectified. If you just got bad shooters, not much you can do. This team has good shooters. Like Terrence Shannon can shoot the ball. He's proven it. Texas Tech, where he was much more catch and shoot. Yes. And that's part of the reason why he was more in the high 30s. Uh, RJ Melendez, I think we've seen it. Um, I know small sample size last year, but I've watched him in practice and like, the kid can shoot the ball. It's just a matter of him mechanically figuring some things out right now. Matthew Meyer, we know he can shoot the ball, but for all these guys, it's what quality of shot are you taking? Because when that quality of shot's low, it's going to be really hard to consistently shoot a high percentage. You can have the eight for nine nights like you do, like Terrence did against UCLA. But as the season goes on, when you continue to take tough ones, you know, that's 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 going to hurt you. But the reason why right now it's probably not being talked about as much because their defense is pretty damn good. Um, <laughs> and I think that there's going to be positive regression. I just think these guys are too good as shooters. And I think it's going to be addressed in a way where it's like, hey, we instead of taking 28 threes in a game, we can take 20 good ones. Uh, and and if that results in somewhere between seven to nine makes because of the quality, now you're right there in the 35 to 45 percent. 45 on the really good shooting nights, and 35 on hey, we we're seven for 20, we we're six for 19, whatever whatever it is. And that's how you rectify that. Um, but the, you have shooters. I, I'm not I'm not worried about that. So not as much of a concern. But if the quality of shot continues the way that it is, then yeah, I think you you get into March and. You run into a team that can really shoot it. You run into an Iowa no. who doesn't really care if you have a good defense. They're going to find ways to score the ball. Um, now you got it. Now quality becomes of that much more important. So that's that's really what I'm looking for moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's like you know, obviously you don't want to shoot 29 from three, but when you pair that with your rate of three point shots to your field goal attempts is fourth most in the yeah. Big Ten. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Especially when you're the number one two-point percentage team in the Big Ten. And think about that. That's over Purdue uh, with, with Zach Eady in the middle. So I, I think you're right, Mike. It's it's the shot selection. And I think Terrence Shannon is the perfect example of that. Like, I'm not going to complain too much about Matthew Meyer because we've seen him and his ability to make those, though I'd like him at some times to, to drive the ball. But, but Shannon seems clearly a better catch-and-shoot guy than he is off the bounce. Not that you never want him to shoot off the bounce. Yeah, and I also think, too, Terrence, because of his size, and if he has a smaller person on him, like he has the ability to shoot over guys, and he can do a lot of damage with five attempts a game. Mm -hmm. Five or six really good attempts per game. It, his focus should always be getting to the basket, because at least if he gets to the basket, he can get to the free throw line. That can maybe open up some things not only just to feel better when you're taking those outside shots but your your the defense has to honor the drive a little bit more so whether that's a jab to create a little bit more space but you know some of his step back like i mean even the one he hit to start the game against nebraska was from like 31 feet right. so it, he's gonna have to pick his spots but these guys have a lot of freedom and you what you don't want to do with guys that are capable shooters is make them start second guessing when to shoot um it's just it's a feel thing you got to understand time and score, moment, and I think these guys will do that. And I think they got to understand, man, like your defense is that good. Um, but I think there's always – I thought about this during the Nebraska game. Sometimes I think you can let up defensively because you think your offense is so good, and I think you can let up offensively because you think your defense is so good. Hmm. And I'm not sure if I'm probably overanalyzing or drilling into psychology too much, but like – when you have this notion that everyone's talking about your elite defense, this, that, and it's like, maybe I can take this shot. I know we're going to stop them. Yeah. So who cares? And it's like, man, that next step, if you want to be great, if you want to be a second weekend, if you want to be an elite eight, final four type team, is truly valuing both sides. Bro, you got the defense. You got it. Now continue with the effort on that side. Don't, I shouldn't say you got it because you don't want to have the mindset of like, we got it. 
you still have to put in the requisite amount of effort. But understanding, man, we can really help ourselves. If we, if we pick and choose our spots and just be basketball players and take good ones, then we help that elite defense out even more to become tougher to score on. And in turn, we're shooting higher percentage shots offensively. So we, we just become tougher to beat overall. Mike, you mentioned it with R.J. Melendez. Uh, last year was a small sample size, but the first 10 games of the year shot 36% from three. I think that's, yeah, take that the rest of the year, right? Uh, especially with those corner threes, he was doing really, really well on. Um, I mean, this coincided with the shoulder injury, but but there's clearly more to it. You mentioned it. You said mechanics. Uh, how do you get R.J. Melendez out of this shooting slump? You're a shooter. What are you seeing out of him? Yeah, I mean, sometimes with guys that are in a shooting slump, what you don't want to do is overcomplicate things and be like, hey, you got to do – and then they'll start to overanalyze even more. It's just – it's it's doubling down on the trust you have in yourself as a shooter and understanding that it's going to pop. Like, it, I know everybody says the cliche of, like, I'm either hot or about to get hot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's got to be the mindset for him. He's going to get three to four good looks in a game, and it's just being able to take advantage of those. Right now, What at least what I'm seeing – and I'll show some of it in the film. I don't think he's he's shot ready. And when I say shot ready, there's just a lot of upright standing, catching, and then going down and going up to shoot. And when you're shot ready, you take out that first part. Mm-hmm. We, we we always talked about it with Luke Goody last year. Like he's just walking around campus shot ready. <laughs> and when you do that, one, you limit the time that it takes to close out to you and get an even tougher contest. But two, like, there's more fluidity to it. Like, if I'm down, shoot, I know if anybody's listening to this on a podcast, just envision it. But, like, if I'm down shot ready, all I got to do is catch and go up, whereas if I'm not shot ready, I got to catch, go down, and then go back up. And you just you introduce too many other elements to it, including a defender getting closer to you and having a tougher contest. So that's got to be his focus. And it's hard. You got to train yourself to do it. it you, you know, You've been going up and down the floor for three minutes straight. Now you kind of jog in in the corner, and all of a sudden the ball's getting swung to you, and you can be caught standing upright, realize you're, you're open, and feel like you got to take it. And that's just kind of the biggest thing, I think, for him, is training yourself to continue to be shot ready and take out that first part of the dip in his shot. And I think he'll see more open shots because it'll be less of a closeout. But, too, I think he'll just – he'll see a few more go in and if he sees a few more go in guys that are good shooters like that they'll they'll be off to the races mike you mentioned his name i think when we talk about hey this team needs shooting and you have luke goody potentially returning soon he's the elixir in a lot of people's minds i want to ask you as as a player who's seen people come back from injury probably had injuries yourself uh this is a serious foot injury he has not practiced five on five to our knowledge yet sounds like he could get cleared soon but we have six weeks left in the season he hasn't played with this team, hasn't been part of the rotation. Um, so I think it's good. If you get Luke Goody back, it's an option you didn't have and a potentially really, really good one. But what would be your expectations for, for Luke Goody as he comes back? What would you tell fans about that? Well, I think you always you always have to temper expectations with a guy, not only just with a foot injury, but coming back in the middle of a home stretch of a conference season and you feel like you have some identity like I talked about with this rotation, this 3-9 through nine or 3-8, through eight, whatever you want to look at it one through eight but look I think for him if there's anybody that could maybe come in and hit the ground running it's a guy that you don't really have to depend on a ton to like pound and pound and have a ton of usage with the ball and um what he does well he's he's great positionally defensively um I think he's an under I think he's an underrated defender uh, we'll see what that looks like because as much as we talk about like the shooting and this and that like I, I do think there's an element of what's he going to look like defensively? Because if he's a step slow defensively, that's what's going to be holding him back from playing maybe his traditional amount of minutes. But offensively, he's a spacer. Uh, he's a catch-and-shoot guy. He fights his ass off on the glass. And shoot, you can plug and play a guy like that. Uh, so I'm not worried about the offensive end for him. It's, it's defensively when you have this elite defense. If he's still working back in a step slow uh, the minutes aren't going to be as abundant as maybe you would think they are. So, but if he does that, then that introduces uh, another element where if he looks really good, he does enough good stuff, man, where he's, he's probably going to steal somebody's minutes. Mike, I, I want you to take a victory lap here. You talked about the, the switching defense <laughs> and that part of the psychology of it is you don't have a guy. You are not responsible for, 
for a guy. And you might just let some things go because it's not your fault if it's not your guy. Uh, Coleman Hawkins brought that up this week, that when, when it's your guy, it's your scout, it's your responsibility, that that's part of their defensive turnaround. So I just wanted to, to give you that praise, man, because he nailed it there. Yeah, well, I think it's 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 a real thing. And it, it does, yeah, it does feel good to hear <laughs> Coleman reiterate it. But at the same time, like, being in that locker room and understanding when you go out on the floor, like there's a different level of accountability when it's your guy. And also, yeah, I think it's another way for these guys. Look, they're 18 to 22 year olds. So just as much as you get excited about, man, I scored 18 points tonight or I scored 22 points tonight, whatever it is, there's something to be said about, yeah, man, this all big 10 guy, I held him to two for 11 from the field. Like there's like there you can get a little bit of confidence from that. Um, that's a real thing. I think Coleman honestly, we, we didn't we we talked about him a little bit as a defender, but after the Ron Harper game, uh, where Ron Harper went two for thirteen or whatever he did, and then Keegan Murray at Iowa, like he was great on Keegan. I think all of a sudden, I think maybe it's coincidence. He all, he decided to believe himself a little bit more as a defender and became a better defender because just as much as you're like, man, I can get buckets at this level. Now I'm a confident shooter. I'm confident going to the line. There's confidence defensively and not second guessing and understanding that you are a, a bad matchup for guys like that and, and embracing that. And that's, that's yeah. a real thing. And I think these guys, a lot of guys in this team present that. Yeah. Mike, think of the last three games for Coleman, Bryce Sensabaugh. He helped really slow down. Um, Tyler Wall, he frustrated a lot. He got some of his points late in that game. Uh, and then I thought when he was on Greasel, yeah. he was very good. Like Greasel got shut down after 15 of the first 17 points. They put Coleman on him, and Coleman uh, really slowed him down. So I, I agree with you. I think he he talked about it. Like, yeah, he, he gets up for that a little bit. You should. And, and look, I think there's a lot of advantages to switching one through five. I totally get it. And – it was funny when we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned that element of it going back to traditional matchups. It was something that just, I think, kind of dawned on me. It was like, man, I at least know, like, competitively as a player, I used, you know, I used to really like that. And you can see how it's kind of permeated where it's like there is a structure to their defense now, just beyond what they do and what they want to force, but there's a structure to the rotations and you're starting to see it, right? You got Dane traditionally on the big. You got Coleman. You you start Terrence on the best perimeter player. If they got enough size and things go awry, you deploy Coleman Hawkins. If Terrence is doing well on him, then when Terrence comes out, you put Ty Rogers on him. And any shooter, that's RJ Melendez and Jaden Epps' job. Yep. And you that's an identity, man. Like that's an identity defensively. And guys all know each other's role. And when Tominaga is running down the left sideline in the first half and RJ Melendez is guarding Wilcher and Terrence Shannon's on Tominaga and Terrence Shannon points at RJ Melendez and is like, we need to switch. This is your guy. And RJ Melendez points back at him and says, no, just take him. And then all of a sudden Terrence gets bumped on a screen and Tominaga hits a three. And I see Terrence yelling at RJ. Like, that's what I'm talking about. That's accountability. Like maybe you could say, yeah, all right, Terrence, but like RJ, that's your matchup. Like, that's your matchup. We have you on shooters for a reason. We don't want Terrence chasing all night. Yeah. That's your job. That's Jay Neff's job. And you can point to that. Whereas, like, when you're switching one through five, it's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> cool. all right, let's go try to get a bucket. Like, yeah. it's it, – there's less accountability. So, I think they've they found that. And they, like, really truly have this identity where, like, hey, guy gets beat. It's Matthew Meyer flying in and recovering. It's, yeah. you know, they have that. It's – predictable in a sense but it's predictable in a good way to where you can kind of rely on it and say like here are our pillars defensively this is what we stick to and guys get really really good within that there's no guessing like what is my role tonight who am i guarding how am i going to make an impact it's like my job this is my job description do my job at a high level that's it yeah just a i was going through a couple more guys that coleman defended jameson battle was four of 11 for eight points a couple weeks ago um malik hall at two points in 18 minutes. I know he got injured, but that was like late in that game. Joey Hauser had 11 points on 11 shots. He's he's done incredibly well during this stretch defensively. And, and even the first time around against Wisconsin, um, I know they didn't have Tyler Wall there, but he's doing a really, really good job. And I'll, I'll say this about Coleman too. I think for him, 
you have all these guys, really good players in this conference. And for whatever reason, I, I think everyone knows Coleman Hawkins is a good defender, but there's something about him being a little bit unassuming. Uh, you know, he doesn't look like the quickest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have like, like he doesn't blow by you off the dribble offensively. So you wouldn't just sit there and peg him as like, dude, he's a freak athlete. So, and then I think too defensively, it's like, he doesn't look like he's sliding his feet lightning fast to cut you off. So I think, I think teams get it and guys get it in their mind where like they can take them off the dribble or get a shot off over them. And he has those things, but his instincts and his feel are what really puts him over the top and makes him just really, really hard to score on and to get things. And now he's taking it to another level. His talking, I've just been so impressed with his talking off the ball. He's pointing. He's always, he's opening up a window for guys to cut through and get through on shooters and get over on shooters and, get here get there like that's where he's really taking this next step he was already a good defender but now you become such a valuable asset on that end and you know we cannot talk about this illinois defense without talking about coleman hawkins like he's the reason they can do what they do and he's the reason they do what they do at a high level um i mean there's no surprise that matthew meyer like all of a sudden he has goes on this tirade of of block shots and the first person he mentions is coleman hawkins Mm -hmm. like yeah i'm like getting my shot blocked in practice Coleman Hawkins taught me how to be a better shot blocker. No surprise. Like mm-hmm. He's been the catalyst on that end. And then now they're starting, like I said, fill in those other areas. Like, boom, need someone to guard a shooter? R.J. Landis, Jaden Epps. Sincere Harris at times. Mm-hmm. Like, need a guy to get into the ball three-quarters court? Like, Terrence Shannon, when he gets into the ball, like, there's a different type of feel. Jameson Battle, like, Jameson Battle, Sam Greasel, these bigger guys that want to handle the ball and initiate offense, Terrence Shannon picks them up three-quarters court. They can't dribble. Mm-hmm. He took the ball from him last night, you know, took a, and what was really impressive about that with Terrence, and I know I'm going on a tangent here, but a possession before that, Terrence Shannon got called for a foul. Sam Griesel completely flopped. Sam Griesel was run through the lane and he stopped, waited for Terrence Shannon to kind of run into him and he fell to the ground and called a foul. Terrence was upset, shaking his head. And then that next possession, next defensive possession, he's picking up Sam Griesel three quarters court and takes the ball from him mm-hmm. and lays it in. And we saw that at Minnesota. And that's the, that has been like the corner that Terrence has turned is he doesn't just kind of go off into the abyss when things go wrong. Like he is, he is limiting that time where he has mistakes and he is just expediting it into how quickly can I turn something into a positive? And he's done it. And it's helped his team out so much. So I know I went from, from talking about different things to getting into Terrence, but it reminded me of that. And it's, it's just been really impressive. Uh, all those guys, I think, have, have been able to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going through Ted Lasso for the second time. He's being a goldfish, apparently. Yeah, uh, for, for that. Uh, I, I do want to mention, yes, uh, Indiana bully ball Coleman Hawkins, but that was the outlier so far during the the last month. I cannot wait for this game. Uh, I, I've been looking forward to this game. I think this is a huge one for Illinois. It's a road game. Uh, I think they're going to be one or two point underdogs, likely in this one. Iowa's playing pretty good basketball right now of course they are one of the best they are the best offense uh, efficiency in the big 10 right now um i i just think this is a great rivalry game we've seen it this week play out between the orange crush and iowa athletic department don't know if you got a take on that mike um but a phenomenal basketball matchup between two really good teams that i think still have you know among the best chances among big 10 teams to go deep in the ncaa tournament so what do you think of this matchup I said it earlier, you better put the ball in the basket. You better put the ball in the basket, especially at Iowa. Um, they hurt you so much with their pace. Uh, they run good actions. Uh, you know, Murray's a pro. Rebrach has been probably one of the more underrated bigs in the conference this year. And then there's been a bit of an emergence of Aaron Euless. I think his ability to be uh, – to really – steady that backcourt where initially you looked at Tony Perkins and probably thought he was a guy that can maybe be breakout candidate. He's been solid in the, in the past few games. Uh, Connor McCaffrey will, will fill in spots. I mean, I think he brings a lot of value to that team. I know not a lot of people like the kid, but uh, he, he plays the game the right way. He plays hard. Uh, he fights. And that's exactly you know how you want to fill in the different pieces of any team. And, Look for Ulysses in particular. Like this is, you know, this is three out of the last four games where he's been in double figures. I think I thought he was tremendous in that game at Michigan State. 
uh, that they almost pulled off. He's just him and Perkins are such confrontational drivers. They they try to put you in in jail. They try to put you in foul trouble. Uh, he they took it straight to Ulysses in particular took it straight at Tyson Walker, who I think is a pretty good defender. Uh, took it right at him like shoulder on chest into the basket and that's you know I'm looking at Jaden Epps and that's what these guys are going to try to do to you and I think Jaden Epps has come a long way I think he's he's a he's a plus defender I really do believe mm-hmm. that and this is going to be a test for him and um look Coleman's going to get the Murray assignment I think we all know that um you're you're going to see probably Shannon on on Perkins uh, but you can fill this in in different ways look I- I'm looking at a guy like Peyton Sanford you can play him off the floor. I saw it against Ohio State. Ohio State completely – they couldn't play him. They couldn't play him. There's too much size. There's too much athleticism. If you bum rush the offensive glass, if you make him guard in space, like they cannot play him. And that takes out a major weapon for them. So I want to see how they go about exploiting that because that's that's a huge mismatch that they can take advantage of. He's going to fight defensively. There's no question. Um, but you can you can exploit that because Ohio State did, and it was a big reason why they won that game because you limited them to having all these different weapons offensively, and, and it just came down to Murray trying to hit shots. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I think that's a win for Illinois if it just comes down to things breaking down and, and Murray having to go get him go get it himself. Because uh, when they're really good is when they have the complementary kind of three step of Rebrach is really doing yeoman's work down low. You got Murray doing it at all three levels. And then you got Euless and Perkins kind of pushing the pace and being menaces. Uh, they'll run that two, two, one kind of token full court. So you have to take care of the ball. Uh, there's a lot of different elements. I was a good team and they've, yeah. there's a reason why they've been uh, kind of on the rise here, here lately. And they beat a good Northwestern team. They, they beat them soundly in a way. So uh, they're going to have no shortage of fire. This has been a rivalry where over the years, it's just grown and grown and grown after being dormant for mm-hmm. for a number of years. So I'm excited. It's a, it's a good test for this Illinois team to go and take out a team that's that I, I believe if I'm looking at standings, they're they're technically in the top half yeah. of the standings. Uh, Illinois doesn't have a ton of those wins. Um, they've beaten up on the on the bottom half of the conference. Um, but at the same time, I'm not going to buy into this notion that this Illinois team can't beat top teams you, you don't beat ucla and texas and then right. simultaneously be like i don't know like what are they going to look like against they can beat those teams it's just yeah. a matter of sticking to who you are and understanding the scout limiting those errors and and, and you could be in good shape here and put yourself in position position to go eight and four and i don't i'm not sure you give yourself a shot at at catching purdue but right now the focus should be on finishing out the season strong and, and getting to that those friday games yeah listen this team has four quad one wins i believe at the moment and some of those obviously can change as we go along here um but iowa would be one uh going to iowa and winning would be a very good win for your resume I, since they lost to eastern illinois which i still don't understand how that happened they have at home beaten indiana michigan maryland Rutgers, northwestern that, that's an impressive run that Iowa is on right now. So that's why I feel like if Illinois goes in and wins this one, I'm just feeling different about what this team is capable of compared to what we were thinking a month ago. Because as you said, Mike, they've beaten some good teams, um, some some solid teams in the Big Ten. But I think this is a top four, top five team in the Big Ten. If you can go on the road and win, um, I just feel like it's, it's another level uh, that this team keeps building and building on. And it's a great test, right? Yes. Everybody talks about your defense, elite defense. Well, how do you stack up against a team that's top five efficiency-wise in, in the country? And how do you how do you fare against a team that's top ten in the country taking care of the ball? Like, you know, they're not going to beat themselves. Um, they don't. They shoot. They shoot at thirty-five percent from three, so they're not just setting the world on fire on that end. But at the same time, I mean, this is a team that they they do lack some size in some areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, similar to Wisconsin, I know, you, I know you got Murray, I know you got Rebracha, um, but you can exploit that in some area. I mean, they're giving up 50%, 51% really from two. And this is a, an Illinois team that does a lot of damage inside the three-point arc. So um, what you can't do is come in there and, and be like, hey, this is the game we're breaking out of the three-point slump, so let's just shoot threes. <laughs> And see if see if we can catch one. But, We'd like to see a lot of free throw attempts in this game for. Yes, get downhill, yeah. exploit. You know, use it to your advantage. If they want to put Sanford on the floor, if they want to put um, Nix, I think is maybe the other guy that they bring on the floor. Like you got to exploit those those matchups. 
and you got to take care of the ball because Iowa's going to value their possessions. You have to do the same, and you have to make them really, really work for – uh, you know, for everything that they get on the offensive end. Yeah, chance for Iowa to continue their rise and, and tie with Illinois in the Big Ten standings, while Illinois it's a chance to get a quad one win and gain some separation. Can't wait for it on Saturday. Michael Tulip, thanks for the insight as always and making us basketball smarter, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you to Michael Tulip. He's the goods. And let's go to somebody else who's really good at what they do. Alan True. You saw him on BTN for their signing day special. He's our guy, the national recruiting analyst that's set up right here in the Midwest. Uh, he knows these prospects as well as anybody. He breaks down his thoughts on the Illini recruiting class, including Malik Elzey, Mac Rosetich, and so much more. That's next on the Illini Inquirer podcast. All right, we get to do this once a year, and that's check in with Alan True. Once everything is done uh, after the regular signing period, uh, but this is kind of like, I guess, the dessert, Alan, uh, for for signing days now because the early signing period has taken so much away from it. But I want to get your thoughts because Brett Bielma brought up yesterday, before we dive into the Illinois class, that he would love a July signing period um, to go along with December and January. I just want to get your thoughts as someone who's covering this so well nationally, especially in the Big Ten and Midwest. What do you think about how this is all set up right now? I do think they seem a little bit close together. And that's why you see so much activity on the first signing day and so much less activity on the second signing day. Um, And so I think the question is whether or not that's redundant. If you're going to have most of the kids. Now, I do think that in, it, it does allow kids some grace period. And, it, and in, in a way, it's nice that the Division Two and the FCS schools get a little spotlight yesterday. Like, that's most of what's going on, honestly. And that's in the, in the PWOs. But as far as, like, if we're talking about major college recruiting, most of the hay is in the barn in December. So I do think – and now with the transfer portal period being happening – it just makes December extremely busy. And I'm not speaking for us because we don't really matter in the machine. <laughs> but for college coaches, it's like December, if you're going through bowl practices or you are a new staff trying to figure it out, um, there's a lot going on. And I don't know that that setup is the best. And for the kids, I think if you know exactly where you want to go in July or August, I don't see a reason. There's enough protections put in place now with coaching changes to where you're not stuck if your coach gets fired. So I I do think that those plan B's and C's, some of those little, um, you know, like allowances for when those coaching changes happen, that's the important part of it. Other than that, I I do think that that something needs to change. I don't know if that's July signing day solution, but something they need to talk about it for sure. I think it'd be similar to basketball, right? And it works out pretty well for them. Uh, Let's dive into Illinois' class. Right now, Alan is number 43 nationally, number 8 Big Ten. There's very little uh, between, I guess, 6 and 10 in the Big Ten. But just overall, what do you make of of this class for Brett Bioma in his second full recruiting cycle? Yeah, so it's funny. We were sitting there on BTN yesterday, and we had Malik Elzey in the studio and we were talking about Caden Fagan and some of the other top guys in the class. And it's like, the, it was like, it didn't seem like that long ago. And it wasn't that long ago that we were sitting in the same studio going, showing the map and going like, they signed zero from Illinois. Like, you know, that was like three years ago. And so I think that they've done a good job there. And we thought at first, like, it's going to take a minute. They'll get some guys in state. They're going to find some sleepers. They're going to find the Matthew Bailey's and those kind of guys. But are they going to win battles in state? And when you get, guys like Malik Elzey in the class. And I always say that we focus a lot too on the guys that sign, but a measure of how well you recruit is also the battles that you're in. You're there on Roderick Pierce. You're there on Jamel Howard. You're, you know, they, they, they did a good job. And so I think top to bottom, um, they, they've done, they've done a good job of reemphasizing the state, reemphasizing the Midwest. And I think that really pays off when you see not just the in-state guys, but Guys like Colin Dixon, et cetera, I think are, are good gets. 
yeah, 20 in-state kids over the last two recruiting classes compared to that zero infamously uh, in 2020. Let's talk about the big one now that he made it official, uh, signing last December. Uh, All-American Bowl kid, Chicago Simeon four-star wide receiver Malik Elzey. Uh, what does he bring to Illinois both as a player and just being uh, Malik Elzey four-star recruit out of Chicago Simeon? Yeah, I mean, I think for Illinois, anytime that you can get a Chicago Public League kid in and into the class and, and there's a recruitable kid there, it's important to win that battle. We talked to him a little bit about that on the air yesterday, and he's hoping to create a Chicago pipeline. And there's more guys coming when you look at what they've got coming up at Morgan Park and Kenwood and Simeon and schools like that. So on the, on the just symbolic end, I think it's extremely important on the field though. I mean, you're getting a guy who's going to step into that room and look like the rest of the guys in there. He's six foot three, maybe better six foot three, almost 200 pounds and uses that size extremely well, very productive at Simeon. And I think initially, you know, he kind of got stuck in that 88, 89 area for us for a long time. And, and some of that was just like, he's so dominant in that public school league. Let's see what he does outside of that. He went to OT seven was a top performer there. Um, whenever they played, you know, a better school, any of the top schools in the public league or on their non-conference schedule, he did very well. And then at the All-American Bowl, he really cemented his status. And that wasn't, I had been pushing for him, but I wanted the national guys to come back and say like, yes, this is without a doubt a four-star. And that's exactly what happened in San Antonio. Is he a guy that can make an immediate impact? I think so. I think when you look at his size and like I said, having gone out and competed at that level, I think he's ready to go from those standpoints. Um, and I, I think he will bring some things that maybe they don't have a ton of on the roster. I think certainly you can get him involved uh, in some red zone packages because he can go up and get the football and use his size. And so I think he's, if you look at the class as a whole and in terms of talent and physical readiness, he's probably one of the most likely to be able to see the field. As you look at the rest of this class, Alan, uh, is there any personal favorites of yours that you say, hey, that's a that's a big get um, for them? Yeah, you know, it's a lot of other three-star prospects in this class, but uh, any personal favorites of yours? So, actually, you brought this guy to my attention yesterday, the new guy in the class. I don't know how you say his last name. Is it Resetich? That's right. Yeah. That is, you know, here's we were talking about this yesterday as well on the air. With the early signing period and how early recruiting goes now, a kid like that can get lost in the shuffle. And I think traditionally the schools in the Big Ten, like I won Wisconsin, have done a really good job of finding that guy in their state. They don't let those guys slide by. And I have this theory that because you can make some mistakes recruiting guys too early, being able to sit and wait for a senior riser is extremely important. And I will bet that the handful of guys that signed yesterday in the Big Ten, the late fines like Mac, are going to hit. I bet a lot of those guys will hit because they're senior evals. And when you look at that kid's athleticism and versatility, he's one of the ones that I look at and say, like, that that's, that's a good find. Um, I think Brandon Henderson has as much upside as anybody in the class. Like, if you ask me, like, who else in this class among kind of the three stars and the middle grouping composite wise could end up getting drafted someday? I think when you look at Alex Palchewski and Vidarian Lowe and some of those guys that were ranked in the same area that ended up having good careers and professional futures, I think Brandon Henderson, because he hasn't played football for very long, maybe a little overshadowed by some of those other guys at East St. Louis. I think he might have more upside than those guys. He's just not as polished. Yeah, and that, that says a lot given uh, the, the talent that has been at, at East St. Louis here the, the past couple of years. Caden Fagan, I want to get your thoughts on him. Um, you know, Central Illinois kid hasn't played the highest level of competition, but that was a big recruiting win to start. Just, just what do you think about him as a prospect? Because, I mean, he's got potential to play offense, to play defense, uh, but he is probably going to have a huge learning curve as he started uh, as an early enrollee here. Yeah, he was a. Uh... A tough eval, an easy eval in some ways because you have a guy that big, that fast, that versatile. It's pretty obvious that he's going to at least be in the high 80s. As far as the rest of that eval goes, he's a guy that we argued a little bit about because competition wasn't very good. And honestly, for the first few years of his career, he, he was good, but we wanted to see him. We were like, this guy should absolutely just dominate his competition. I think we started to see more of that as a senior 
And um, so he's, I think the trajectory is headed in the right uh, direction. I think it's about finding the right spot. I know um, they, they're talking to him about offense, and we can definitely see that. Certainly has the size and ability to play other positions too. I think the good thing for him is that at Brett Bielema stops, he's had a lot of these kind of bigger positionless out of high school guys who maybe haven't quite found the right fit yet. And he's always, always seems to find the right place to put those guys. And so mm -hmm. I think even going back to Wisconsin, they did a really good job. He's done a really good job of that. And so I have confidence they'll find the right place for him. But I think initially uh, on offense, you look at that size and speed, and then he's even returned kicks at the prep level. Usually that bodes pretty well for your success. So he's going to have a little bit of an adjustment, obviously, but he's got the physical gifts to do it. I want to ask you about defensive line. You brought up two of the tougher misses in the class and Roderick Pierce and Jamel Howard. You had two chances at both those guys. They end up going to Big Ten rivals. Pierce, first Wisconsin, then Michigan, and then, of course, Jamel Howard sticks with Wisconsin on signing day. But they you know, they went and Terrence Jameson found three guys, and Alex Bray, Mason Moraga, and, and Jeremiah Warren that I know you've evaluated here, uh, Alan. So what do you think of, of how they put together that D-line class when they did miss on their guys from Chicago? You know, I think that defensive line, that's, that's like offensive line. It's a developmental position for the most part, unless you pull the absolute top of the board, you know, ready-made guys, which Georgia and Alabama and places like that do. You're going to have to develop these guys. And I think these guys all have very good um, developmental potential. And they all come from really good high schools. If you throw Pat Farrell at St. Rita in there as well, these guys were all extremely productive at winning high schools. Uh, Mason Moragan won several state titles. Jeremiah Warren won state titles. Uh, Alex Bray, extremely productive. I actually think he of that group might have the most left as far as upside and ceiling goes because he's explosive, uh, makes a ton of plays. And the other guys are going to be like, you talk about a reliable group of guys. I think the bust potential for any of those four as a group is extremely low. Like those guys are going to play. Those guys are going to be good program guys. Those guys are going to work really hard. Those guys have been productive. They will be productive. I think you can feel really safe going to bed at night knowing that those guys are going to play a lot of football for Illinois based on their pedigree and what they've already accomplished in high school. Yeah. Jeremiah Warren, to me, great find at the end of the cycle. If you watch Belleville High School a ton, talk to their coaches a ton. They were always just kind of flabbergasted that at a position that doesn't have a ton of bodies in the north, like defensive tackle, that he didn't get more traction, and then it came there right at the end. I've got two more quick ones for you, Alan. Um, another Midwest kid, Colin Dixon, Ohio wide receiver. One-time Wisconsin commit. I mean, LZ's going to get the shine, as he should. Uh, but how big of a get was Colin Dixon? What do you think of him? Yeah, I remember when we first put him on, as I think it was his sophomore going into his junior year when we evaluated him. He didn't have any offers at the time, and, and we were like, that guy's at least a mid, if not a high three-star. Like He impressed us on film right away. Um, and, and he was a guy we thought might be able to project to some other positions like linebacker. He's a big kid. He's put together. I think what he showed as a senior was a little bit more big playability. We thought um, maybe a, a guy who's going to work more of the intermediate routes, uh, do decent after the catch, but maybe not this big play guy. But that happened more as a senior. Uh, he runs well after the catch. He's physical, strong, hard to bring down. And, and really just turn, like we like I said, we thought he was a good player before. I thought he had a great senior year. And when you look at the statistics and you compare the film, I think he's headed in the right direction. And a uh, good job by Illinois there to stay in contact with him. You know, got him to campus even before he officially decommitted. And we're kind of Johnny on the spot once he reopened things. Well, now that 2023 has come to a close, everyone's asking, well, what about 2024? So I'll ask you, Alan, um, this is the highest ranked recruiting class Illinois has had, um, you know, for preps since 2011. Um, so what do you think they can do in 2024? Are there any prospects you think are, are ones we should have uh, interest in here? Yeah. So, I mean, I always think that the, the benefits of a good season, it kind of takes a minute to cycle your way through. I do think it helped Illinois down the stretch to, you know, have um, the season that they had, but I think that that's, you're really going to see it pay dividends in this class. And so I think, um, you know, the, the guys that have been paying attention, if you look inside the state, you would love to be able to try to get another Malik Elzey, Caden Fagan type win. If you can get a guy, you know, like a Luke Williams, 
Um, it's going to get harder on this on Marquise Easley and Marquise Lightfoot. Those guys are going to be tough wins. I stopped at Morgan Park before the BTN show, and Tyshawn Griffin mentioned Illinois right away. I think they're going to battle probably Purdue and Wisconsin there. That feels to me like a kid that's not going to leave the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. I think Illinois is going to be right there. You know, Chris James is his coach. Um, and so he's going to have their, their – Illinois is going to be very much in the picture on him. Austin Alexander just decommitted from Wisconsin and mentioned Illinois right away as a school that he wants to visit. And so I think they're going to have a, a, a good shot with him as well. And I think he's a really good prospect. I think maybe at the moment he's kind of uh, trying to figure it out. It all came at him at once. It's like he's committed to Wisconsin one minute and then USC comes in and offers. So he's kind of like, whoa, I think – He's another guy that when push comes to shove, I, I would guess that he sticks in the Midwest. Um, I know he likes Purdue, he likes Iowa State as well. So Tyshawn Griffin, Austin Alexander, those are the two kind of top 15 to 20 in-state guys that I think they're going to have a really good shot with. Yeah, uh, the Purdue recruiting battles could be interesting moving forward with Ryan Walters, Corey yeah, Patterson. Yeah, a few of those, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Kane, a Chicagoland uh, recruiter as well. Alan True, appreciate your insight as always, man. Absolutely, thanks for having me. Always great to get some national perspective, uh, regional perspective on Illinois football recruiting, and nobody does it better than Alan True. Thank you to Alan. Thank you to Michael Tulip for joining us and giving us their insight. And thank you to you uh, for listening to us. We appreciate that. As always, check us out on YouTube. We all put uh, the interviews up there. I'll have Michael Tulip and Alan True if you prefer uh, to have the, the visual side of things. I know I'm just a, a YouTube junkie. So I've enjoyed growing uh, the support there and, and we appreciate all the support there it's been a lot of fun to add a little bit different things uh, to the website here and uh, thank you as always for listening to us on the on inquire podcast give us a follow rating review wherever you get your podcast and check out the website for all the latest we've gotten so much content the last couple of days uh, so much insight from the Illinois football staff Joey and I uh, had a couple exclusives that were uh, really excited to to put out to you and, and get you a little bit more insight in how do all these things came, went down about what the Illinois football staff brings about the players they're bringing in, the future of this program, and what's next. Uh, so we'll have a lot more about that coming up. So appreciate you guys, all the support on the VIP side of things. As always, you can get a dollar membership your first month for just a dollar, uh, and you can check us out, see if you like us. I believe you will. There's so much up on the site right now. But everybody, take care of each other. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the Iowa game. Crush, guys. Enjoy it wherever you are. Iowa took this a little seriously. You got caught. That stinks. Out of some money. That stinks. I don't have much more of an opinion about this other than this whole ordeal shows this rivalry is real. And it is the rivalry for Illinois, at least basketball, right at the moment. So sorry I don't have a stronger take uh, right now, but I can't wait for Carver Hawkeye on Saturday. Everybody have a great weekend. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time on the Online Enquirer podcast. Bye, everybody.